10 to 1, Episode 5. Top 10 Bible Stories That Make Us Laugh. Top 10 lists about everything. I'm Melissa Kozer. And I'm Brian Kozer. And I chose today's list, Top 10 Bible Stories That Make Us Laugh. I was actually, I was reading through Second Kings, and there was a few different stories we'll be talking about today that struck me as sort of funny. Now, he's probably, I, I know a lot of these things wouldn't be funny if you were actually there, and it was actually happening to you, but I don't know. They struck me as funny, I guess, maybe in the same way that things like Pirates or Vikings can be kind of funny, even though in real life those things would have been not funny at all, but were kind of removed in time. And Or kind of how when something bad happens to someone else, we laugh at it sometimes, even though we shouldn't. Right, yeah, it's... some of the things are definitely, definitely dark humor. But anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> so for this list, we did collaborate on a 10. So you have 5, and I have 5, so why don't you go ahead and start yeah. With your first one, so I guess that's number 10. Yeah, because, I mean, there really aren't that many things that make me laugh in in the Bible, but these things certainly did. All right, so my first is in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, now, th this is a very sad time for Israel because the Ark of God has been captured by the Philistines, and that that is really a time of despair for the nation of Israel. God is no longer with them. So now the Philistines have the Ark of God, and they bring it to their city of Ashdod, and they put it in their house of Dagon, and set it by Dagon, their god. And the next morning the people of Ashdod rose up early, and behold, Dagon is fallen on his face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. So they take Dagon, and they set him up in his place again, like, oh, no problem, sorry about that, sir, sorry you fell on your face. <laughs> Here, we'll help you back up and put you in your spot. There, <laughs> you're, you're all good again. And then they rose up early on the next morning, which that's kind of funny to me in and of itself, that they are they just can't wait to see what's happened in the temple while they were asleep. They go up early and, oh, oh, stink, oh no, Dagon has fallen on his face again, and oh man, his hands and his head have been chopped off. <laughs> I mean, some people might say it was just from falling twice, but... If you were to go into your temple and your mighty God appears to have lost in a battle with your enemy's mighty God, that would be pretty creepy. And it makes me laugh that, therefore, in the verse 5 it says, Therefore neither the priests of Dagon, nor any that come into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon unto this day. So they were really creeped out just by seeing this. And then on top of that... Everybody gets smitten with this disease, all the men. And so they call together all the lords of the Philistines and say, Man, we got to get rid of this Ark of God. What do we do? And so they say, Hey, let's send it over to Gath, this other Philistine city. So they send it there. And guess what? All the men there get really bad diseases as well. And so they're like, well, we don't want to hear, so let's send it over to Ekron. And this is the part that really makes me laugh. As the Ark of God is coming to Ekron, the Ekronites cry out saying, They've brought the Ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us! 
It makes me laugh that even amongst themselves, there doesn't seem to me to be much camaraderie. They're like, oh man, this is killing us. Let's send it over to our, our other countrymen that we don't really care for anyway. And they get smitten. So they s try sending it to their other country countrymen. And I don't know, it just, it's funny to me when they're like, oh man, no, no, don't send the Ark of God to us. Please. So that is my number five. The Ark of God being sent around and nobody wants it. Yeah, and don't, don't they also put put some golden mice and golden... So so they're having... Don't they have... It doesn't say they have hemorrhoids and they then yeah. put golden hemorrhoids yeah. in the cart with the with the Ark. That, I don't know if that's quite funny, but... I wasn't going to mention that. It's not that. funny haha, -ha, but it's funny. That's weird. Why are you making... You know, <laughs> just imagine the king of the Philistines. Hey, I've got an order for you today. <laughs> Seven golden hemorrhoids. <laughs> I need them by tomorrow. Makes sense to us. Yeah, so anyway. All right, so the first one for me is uh, in Second Kings, like I was mentioning earlier. The first Second Kings chapter 1, and it's King Ahaziah. He falls out of his house. He's on the uh, upper floor of his house, and he falls through the lattice, I think it says. Falls through the lattice and hurts himself. Gets a, a messenger and says, hey, go go find out if I'm going to get better. Go check with the, the priests of, of Beelzebub. Go see if I'm going to recover from this. And so the messenger runs out. And God goes to Elijah and says, Elijah, go go intercept this messenger and turn him around. Tell him that Ahaziah is not going to get better because he's asking false gods for advice. So Elijah goes out. He gets the guy before he's gone very far. Turns him around. Tells him what to, tell the king, what to say to the king. So the messenger runs back into the king. He's like, "Hey, King, Az hey, Isaiah, uh, you're actually not going to get better. You're gonna, you're gonna die." And the king gets suspicious. Wait a second, you didn't have time to go to the the temple of Baalzebub or wherever he was going. Like, oh yeah, yeah, actually, I didn't get there, but there was this guy. He just stopped me and told me to come back, and he gave me the message that you're gonna die. Like, King Ahaziah starts thinking, "Wait a second, what did this guy look like?" Messenger says, "Oh, he was he was a hair he was a man of hair. So it's uh, it's either he was hairy, like he had a uh, long beard and, and hair, maybe hairy arms, or it's saying his clothing was hairy. Uh, he's a hairy man, and he had this big leather belt. And King Ahaziah man, just puts his head in his hands, like, oh man, it's Elijah. <laughs> I can't believe it. And so, <laughs> like, what am I gonna do about this? All right, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna send some people out for Elijah. So he calls in this captain." Uh, that's over 50 men. He says, all right, go go bring Elijah back into me. And so by now, Elijah's sitting on top of this mountain uh, or a hill, whatever it is. And uh, the <laughs> the captain of, of the 50 men comes up and he starts yelling at Elijah, hey, man of God, come down. I have to take you to the king. And then Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down and, and destroy all of you. And, of course, fire falls from the sky and, and kills all of them. And I'm imagining Elijah making the sound effects with his mouth, probably, <laughs> when he does this. I don't know why I imagine that. But then, uh, somehow, I guess the king finds out that his, his soldiers got burnt to a crisp, so he calls up another captain of 50, and 50 men and sends them. So the second captain, with his 50, goes over and says, Hey, man of God, get down here, and get down here quick. King Isaiah needs you. And Elijah says, If I'm a man of God... Let fire come down and, and burn you all burn you all up. Of course, the fire falls from the sky again. And so King Azai hears about it and he's like, I'm just going to send some more. And so he sends out a third <laughs> captain of 50. Ain't broke, don't fix it. And so the third one goes out, third captain, 
But this time he goes down onto his hands and knees and he's crawling up to Elijah. Please, 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 don't burn me up. Just come to the king. He just wants to talk to you. And so God tells Elijah, don't, I'm not going to send fire down for this one. Just go ahead and go talk to the king. And so, uh, well, a little bit of uh, some gruesome stuff in there, I suppose. But, uh, I don't know. That one, that one makes me laugh. <laughs> Especially that third captain, just like, oh please, man, don't don't kill us. <laughs> yeah, good story. All right, so my number four is uh, in First Kings eighteen verses twenty two through twenty seven, and this is the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So uh, during this time, the nation of Israel has been worshiping Baal and then sometimes worshiping God. And Elijah finally just says, "Look, decide which one you're gonna, which one you're gonna serve. If Baal is the god, serve him. If God is God, then serve him. And we're gonna have a contest. We're gonna put some bullocks on these altars." And we're going to put on wood, but don't put on any fire. Don't start any fires on there. And the God that answers with fire from heaven, he will be the one that we worship. And everybody says, hey, that sounds good. So Elijah says, look, guys, to the prophets of Baal, look, guys, I'm going to make it easy. You guys go first, because there's a lot of you. You call on your gods. So they call on their gods, and uh, they say, oh, Baal, hear us, but there's no voice. Uh, from morning until noon, the Bible says. And at noon, Elijah starts mocking them. He says, cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey. Or peradventure, he sleepeth and must be awakened. So he's like, man, maybe he's on the phone. Or he maybe he's got a really deep sleep. You know, those gods. <laughs> So just Elijah making fun of them is always kind of funny to me. That's my number four. Well, that's actually number number eight, right? Because, I mean, we're, we're ten okay. to one. Ta-da! Yeah, eight. <laughs> Good on ya. And they're not in a specific order. They're kind of in order from uh, as they are uh, getting more and more funny as we go, but also sort somewhat chronological a bit. So don't read too much into the into the numbers. All right, so number seven. For me, I'm going to, I'll go ahead and read John chapter 20, a couple verses at the beginning of John. So this is uh, John's gospel, Apostle John, and it's right after the resurrection. Mary Magdalene goes early. She sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher and... Uh, okay, then John chapter 20, verse 2. Then she runneth, cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came <laughs> first to the sepulchre. So here we have two two things in in John. He's writing this book, and of course he's a he's a person in the story, and I'm sure he didn't mean it in any sort of patting himself on the back way but it sure does it seems a little iffy when he's he calls everybody else by name but to himself he's the the disciple whom jesus loved <laughs> i mean <laughs> did he bring that up at, at dinner parties for the rest of his life like yeah yeah peter i mean sure great great preacher walked on water nice beard but i think we all know who the disciple whom jesus loved was I think we know. <laughs> and 
So there's that. And then also, he has to record for all eternity that he beat Peter in a foot race. That <laughs> he even gave Peter a head start. <laughs> and still beat Peter to the tomb. So it's just kind of funny. John with his... Uh, Little self-congratulating asides. Yeah. Asides. So that's number seven. All right. Number six is in Ruth chapter two. And up to this point, uh, we've heard about this woman, Ruth, and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And uh, poor Naomi's had a hard time of it because she and her husband and her two sons went into a far country. Her sons got married and then her sons died and her husband died. And uh, so she decided to go back to her home country of Jerusalem and she tells her her daughters-in-law to go back into their own country and maybe maybe she they can find wives for them or husbands for themselves and one of them leaves Orpah but the other one stays uh, so Naomi and Ruth go back to Jerusalem and this they're on very hard times they don't have anyone to provide for them or take care of them they have no lands so that part obviously is very sad not funny at all but they get back home, and Ruth decides, I'm going to go see if I can glean some wheat, uh, the, the pickings from other people's harvests, because that was something that was allowed in Israel, was you could, you were supposed to leave some pickings for the poor. And so she goes out, and she uh, comes back home later in the day, and she's got a lot of food. And her mother-in-law says, Hey, where have you been gleaning today? Blessed is he that took knowledge of you, that allowed you to do this. And she showed her mother-in-law and says, The man's name is Boaz. And Naomi says, Blessed is he of the Lord, who's not left off his kindness. And then, and this is the part that makes me chuckle, you can almost hear the wheels beginning to turn in Naomi's mind. The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And so she starts thinking, hey, what do you know? There's a man who's been showing some kindness to my beautiful daughter-in-law, and he's near of kin. If he and she were to get married, we'd have land again. And maybe that's not how it was for her. Maybe she was just matter-of-factly stating, oh, he's near of kin to us. That's pretty nice. But that's kind of how it comes across to me, this uh, Naomi kind of matchmaking, sort of scheming. Hey, this is, this is looking pretty good. This <laughs> is fortunate. So that is my number six. Oh, oh and another thing is uh, uh, then in chapter three, she says, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred? So she's, you know, at first she just starts thinking, yeah, this isn't a bad idea. And then she decides, you know, I'm going to give them a little push. Hey, so you know that nice guy, the one that's been letting you work in his fields? Why don't you go seek him out tonight? And uh, maybe he'll propose to you. So that makes me laugh. It's just Naomi matchmaking Ruth and Boaz. All right, for number five, back to Second Kings. So Elijah is off the scene, now Elisha is, is God's prophet, and in 2 Kings chapter 9, he pulls in one of uh, his, his young prophet acolytes, and he says, alright, I have a message for you to take to this guy named Jehu. Here's the message, God is going to make Jehu the next king. Now take that message to Jehu, and then open the door, and run out, and don't stop. I'm not exactly sure why I told him that, but uh, 
I don't know, knowing a little bit about Jehu and maybe learning about Jehu here in the next few minutes, you'll you'll maybe guess why why he might have said something like that. So the the acolyte runs out, the young prophet. He goes all the way to Jehu. He bursts into his his house where he's where Jehu's eating dinner with some friends. And he says, "I have a message for Jehu." And so he goes off into a room with Jehu, and he says, "You're going to be the next king, Jehu." He pours some oil on his head. God's going to make you the next king, and God wants you to go destroy Ahab's family. King Ahab, the evil king, has died by now, but his wife still alive. His son is king of Israel right now, still alive. He has a bunch of other sons, and Jehu, I want you to take him out. And then he runs out of the house, and so Jehu goes back down into <laughs> the dinner party, and the, his friends are kind of looking around. So, so what was that crazy guy all about? <laughs> what, what did he tell you? Just runs Jay- in and then <clears throat> runs out. Jehu said, "Oh, you know, you know what, you know what he's like. You know the kinds of things he says." And his friends say, uh, no, no, we don't, we don't know what, what his friend, what this guy says. He's like, oh, well, he said I'm going to be the next king of Israel. And his friends pause. Hey, next king of Israel, get the trumpets, celebrate, make a party. And Jehu's like, yeah, yeah, next king of Israel this is going to be pretty good. Sounding good. Got to take out, got to take out Ahab's family. Better get started on that. So he jumps on his chariot and starts, starts riding for Jezreel which is where uh, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, Ahab's widow, live, and also uh, the king of, current king of Israel, which is Ahab's son, Joram. And so he starts riding, toward, riding towards Jezreel, and the Bible says he, he, he drove furiously. That's what he's known for. So he's driving his chariot furiously towards Jezreel, and Joram looks out the window, and he sees this cloud of dust. Like, okay, someone's coming in fast. Better send out a messenger. So he sends out a messenger, and the messenger goes up to goes up to Joram, rides out to him, and says, "Hey, are are you coming in peace? Are you coming in peace, Jehu?" And uh, Jehu says, oh, "Peace? What 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 do I have to do with peace? Get behind me!" And so the messenger gets behind him, starts riding behind him, and then Joram sees, "Oh, he, the messenger is not coming back. He just he's staying out there with him. Boy, I I hope he's I hope he's coming in peace. I better send another messenger." <laughs> And so the second time the messenger goes out and he says the same thing. Is it peace? Is it peace? Are you coming in peace? And Jay says, what do I have to do with peace? Get, get behind me. Follow me. And so, uh, the, the watch out again says to Joram, uh, the, the second guy is, is following the chariot there. And I can tell from the way he's driving, it's Jehu. You know how he drives. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Joram's a little, a little worried, but he's, he's going down to meet Jehu as he comes in. And he goes down. Jehu drives up, gets out of his chariot. Joram says, hey, hey, Jehu, hey, you coming in peace? Joram says, how can I come in peace when all the wicked things that your family have done have not been paid for? And so Joram says, treachery, treachery. And he turns around and starts running. And Joram pulls out a bow and arrow and shoots an arrow right through him, right through his back as he runs away. And... Uh, that's, this part, uh, is also kind of ironic 
um, or maybe apt, because this field that he's in, it's actually the vineyard of Naboth. So if you remember back to King Ahab, um, when he was pouting because he couldn't get a vineyard, and then he actually had a man killed to get his vineyard, that was Naboth's vineyard. And so now this same place that was metaphorically covered in blood when Ahab murdered someone to get it, now is being covered in the blood of Ahab's son. That's where he's been killed. So not not funny, but uh, ironic, I guess. And so Jehu, he's he's killed the first member of Ahab's family he's come after. Now he is going to go for Jezebel, Ahab's widow. Jezebel hears that he's coming into the city. She puts makeup on. She makes herself look presentable. I don't know if that was just... I'm getting ready because I know I'm going to die and I want to look nice for the funeral. Or if she was, was going to try and seduce Right. I, I don't think so. She would have been, pre- been a little bit older at this point. But, but it does say she was leaning out of the window. So maybe she was going, yoo-hoo. No, no. She was not Hopefully going, yoo-hoo. Not. <laughs> does not say she was going, yoo-hoo. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so Jehu comes up. <laughs> Jezebel, she pokes her head out of the window, she got her makeup on, she says, hey, you know, this never ends well. The last people that killed kings of Israel, they they didn't sleep easy. This isn't going to be good for you. Are you sure you really want to do this? And so Jehu says, basically, yeah, I'm sure I want to do this. And so he yells out, hey, who's on my side? And a couple of eunuchs pop their head out the window also. Uh, probably a different window. He's like, hey, if you're on my side, throw her out the window. And so they pop their heads back in. They run around to the other room and they toss Jezebel out the window. And uh, that's the end of Jezebel, as it had just been prophesied, actually. And so Jehu's taken out the first two members of Ahab's family. And that's part one of Jehu. Part two will be in a few more minutes. But uh, for now, that's that's all for Jehu. That was my number six, I think. That's the number that six. That's your five. That's, that's number five. Yeah. Okay, so number four is the story of Mordecai and Haman, found in the book of Esther, chapters 5 and 6. And, uh, I mean, it starts sooner than that, but uh, that's where my story is picking up. Uh, The background is uh, the Jews have been conquered by the Persians, and so they're living in Persia now, and... The king has taken Esther as his queen. She's a Jew, and her uncle is Mordecai, also a Jew. Cousin. Oh, yeah, her cousin. Yeah, I always think it's a, her uncle for some reason. Now, there's this guy named Haman, and he has become super important in the king's council members. He is basically the king's right-hand man, and the king has commanded everybody to bow to Haman. Except Mordecai doesn't. He only bows to the king. And so, naturally, this makes Haman really mad, and he just gets madder and madder every time he goes by, and Mordecai doesn't rise for him. Well, eventually, uh... Esther throws a party for the king and Haman. And to learn the reason why, uh, it's because Haman got so mad at Mordecai, he decided, I'm going to kill him. But not only that, I'm going to kill his entire race. So I'm going to kill all the Jews. So Esther is going to throw a party and ask for her life and that of her people. But the king and Haman don't know that yet. So at the party... Esther says, hey, king, can I throw you one more party, and then I'll, I'll ask a favor of you. And the king says, sure. And Haman leaves there, and he's really happy. Oh, man, 
Queen Esther invited only me and the king to the banquet. I am somebody special. And then he goes out through the gate and Mordecai is sitting there. And he still doesn't rise for him. And I can just imagine him fuming all the way to the, to his house, stomping his feet, chuttering angrily <laughs> under his breath. Mordecai, I can't believe he won't rise for me. I'm going to get him. And so he goes home and, uh, you know, he keeps his temper in check and he calls all his friends and his wife. And he's telling them, yeah, I'm so rich. Life has gone so great for me. I've got so many children. I'm got, I'm the second in command, the king's right-hand man. But you know what? I can't stand seeing Mordecai so much that all of this just means nothing to me. And so his wife and his friends say, hey, if he, if you hate him that much, just go ahead and get rid of him. Don't wait, wait to get rid of all his, uh, uh, countrymen. Just go ahead and build a gallows here in your backyard and, uh, then go ask the king tomorrow if you can hang him. And he's like, hey, great idea. So he goes out and builds his, his gallows. And then, since he can't wait, that night he goes in to tell the king, hey, can I hang, hang Mordecai? Well, what's funny to me, and I love how the Bible tells it, because it's almost like one of Shakespeare's plays, uh, where you just see the events unfolding and you start anticipating, oh man, I know what's gonna happen, and the characters in the story and the play don't know, don't see it yet. But that night, the king can't sleep. And so he calls for the chronicler to come and read him the events of the day or the last couple days. You know, because that'll put you to sleep pretty quickly. Just hearing about, well, you went out and you ate ate your lunch. And then you went golfing and then you met some dignitaries and then you had dinner. That's pretty boring. And he discovers Mordecai had saved the king's life and the king never thanked him for it. So right at this time... Haman comes in, and he's all set to ask the king about hanging Mordecai. And so the king says, hey, there's this guy that I really like, and uh, I want to do something really swell for him. What do you recommend I do for him? And Haman thinks, you know what? The king can't like anybody better than me. I'm second in command here, and this is my chance to really make a bid for power. So here's what I'm going to tell him. He tells the king, I think that this guy should be dressed in the king's robes. He should wear the king's crown, and she, he should be paraded around on the king's horse, paraded through the streets by one of your most noble men, telling everybody, this is the guy whom the king really likes. And then the king says, great idea! Now go do that to Mordecai. And I can't help but laugh every time I picture... Haman's face, his jaw must have just dropped to the floor, and oh man, I can't believe this. And I don't think Mordecai rubbed it in at all verbally, but I just picture him grinning from ear to ear the whole time, and Mordecai just loving every second of this while Haman is scowling every time he's like, this is the guy whom the king likes. Hey, look at him, everybody. Ta-da. So as soon as this is done, you know, Mordecai just goes back to his spot, uh, sitting in the king's gate, and Haman just hurries home. It says he hasted home, having his head covered. I picture him putting a paper sack over his face and sneaking <laughs> home through the dark alleyways. He doesn't want anybody to see him. Uh, 
And then he tells his wife and friends, and they're like, oh, man, you don't stand a chance against Mordecai now. And uh, so I just love that story. Mordecai and Haman. That's number four. Do you picture Haman sounding like Mr. Lunt? Because I do. You mean from Veggie Tales? That's the only Mr. Lunt I know. Well, I know several other Mr. Lunts. Not just <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I kind of picture him uh, shuffling cards the way he does at one part. Yeah, he's he comes out and he's standing by the leaning against the gate and he's shuffling a deck of cards and he's like, "Hey, Mordecai, why don't you bow to me?" Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, for number three, it's Jehu Part Two. So last we left Jehu, he was starting to knock off Ahab's family, and he continues doing that in chapter ten. He Gets all of Ahab's other descendants killed. And then he swings around for one of his friends, Jehonadab. And he says, hey, Jehonadab, you're still with me, right, man? Jehonadab says, yeah, man, I'm with you. <laughs> and so he pulls him up into his chariot. He's like, hey, Jehonadab, I'm going to show you how much how much I'm zealous for God. Let me, let me show you how much I can, I can do for God. So they uh, go into town. He goes into Samaria, another city, and he calls all the people together and says, Hey, Ahab served Baal a little bit. Jehu's going to serve Baal a lot. We're going to have a big party tonight, and I want you to get all the Baal worshippers together, everybody. Be there. Everybody that loves Baal as much as me, come on down. 7 p.m. <laughs> at the Baal Temple. And so he gets everybody gathered together, gets them all in the building, Hey, go get the bale robes. And so they go out get out these robes that I guess they wear while they're worshiping. They put them on. Like, hey, everybody, make sure there's no Jehovah wish- worshippers in here. Look around. If you see any, make them leave. <laughs> and uh, gets all the people riled up, and they're all together, start doing their sacrifices, and he kind of sneaks out the building, and he has some soldiers stationed outside, and he says, all right, nobody escapes. If anybody escapes, you're dead. And so the soldiers go in and wipe everybody out. And so I guess Jehu can use a little bit of a little bit of cunning on top of using his his Charm. martial ability to to take out people. So that's pretty much all we know about Jehu is he wiped out a bunch of people for God. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know for some reason he always makes me laugh though. Pretty much everything he does, everything he did in the Bible, pretty much makes me laugh. So that's my number three. All right, number two is found in Second Samuel chapter 23 and verses 14 through 17. So at this point, King David uh, has been fighting against the Philistines, and the Philistines have taken over Bethlehem, and uh, David is fighting against them. And David is uh, drink, sort of speaking out loud, thinking to himself, man... I remember that water from the well in Bethlehem, the one right by the gate. Oh, that was such good water. I wish I could have a drink of that water. And he has three mighty men, the Bible calls them. These guys are basically super soldiers. They're really valiant and really great fighters. And they decide, you know what? We love our leader so much, we're going to go get him that water. So they sneak out, and they actually break through the garrisons of the Philistines, all their armies, and they draw out a drink of water from that well, and they race back, and they hand it over to David, and they say, you know, I mean, the Bible doesn't say all of this, but some of it's my imagination. They say, they give it to him, and 
they're thinking, man, this is going to be great. We love this guy so much. We got him this water. <laughs> David takes it, and rather than drink it, he pours it out. And he says, I can't drink this. This, You guys risked your lives for this. This is this is like blood. And uh, An offering to the Lord. He yeah, he out. pours it out as an offering unto the Lord. <laughs> and I can just picture those guys' faces, and they're kind of whispering to, to each other, did he... No, tell me he didn't just do that. Oh, man, he did. That's it. I quit. And uh, it doesn't say that they quit. Uh, in fact, it doesn't say anything more than that he didn't drink the water and rather he just poured it out. Uh, but every time I read that, I'm like, I can't believe he didn't drink the water. I would quit if I were one of those mighty men. So that is number two, pouring out the water. Oh, that's a good one. All right, so number one, our number one, is the story of Micaiah the prophet <laughs> and uh, the battle that Ahab goes into. So we're going back in time a little bit from Jehu. This is back to King Ahab, that evil king who for some reason makes me laugh with a lot of the things he does. But he was evil, bad guy, king of Israel, and then king of Judah this time was Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was a good king, but it seems like he was always trying to help these evil kings of Israel. I don't know if he was a people pleaser or if he was just a bad judge of character or what exactly was going on with Jehoshaphat, but he's always allying himself with allying himself with these these other evil kings. So anyway, so Ahab and Jehoshaphat get together and Ahab's saying, "Yeah, yeah, the king of Syria, who is he? We're going to we're going to take back Ramoth Gilead from him." Jehoshaphat's like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that." <laughs> And so uh, Ahab says, are you with me? Are you with me, Jehoshaphat? Jehoshaphat's like, oh, yeah, I'm right behind you, man. This is going to be good. And uh, before we before we actually go, maybe we should ask God if we should go. And Ahab says, well, all right, all right. He calls in a few hundred prophets, and he says, all right, prophets, ask God, can I go into battle against Syria? And the prophets, of course, all of them are, are suck-ups. They're all false prophets. Uh, oh, yeah, king, go out. Go, go, you can do it. And one of them even gets two two metal horns, like, like cow horns, or like bull horns, and puts them on his head, runs around charging. Actually, I don't think he ran around <laughs> with them on his head, but that's how I picture it. He says, these horns are, are a picture of how you're going to push back Syria. And so Ahab says, yeah, see, I told you, Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat, for some reason, is not convinced. Maybe he realizes they're all just... Uh, <laughs> they're what? all... I'll just uh, suck ups. Maybe the fact that there is no disagreement among any of them. That could be. So he says, well, is there anybody else we could ask? Anybody else, Ahab? And Ahab says, well, there's this one other guy named Micaiah. He's a prophet, but I hate him. Always says bad stuff about me. I don't like the guy. <laughs> Judge Fett said, well, come on. Can we, can we just see what he has to say? Ahab says, fine, fine. Sends a messenger, go get Micaiah. So the messenger goes to the prophet, and he, he brings him back, and, and as he's getting back, I picture him, he's in the hallway with Micaiah, and he says, all right, now everybody said it's okay to go, so go along with it, just tell the king it's okay, and everything will be good, all right, don't make any waves, Micaiah, <laughs> Micaiah says, well, I promise you, I'll, I will say what God says, so he goes into the room, and, you know, Ahab, of course, is probably looking at him mistrustfully, he knows he's not going to like the idea, and he said, because he knows that God 
Uh, he, he knows he's not doing what God wants him to do. And so, he says, all right, Micaiah, can we go into battle against Syria? Micaiah says, oh yeah, go, go into battle. God is with you. You'll be successful. You'll be victorious. And Ahab says, hey, how many times have I told you? Just tell me the truth. And so you can kind of tell from that that Micaiah was being sarcastic because uh, just from his tone of voice, I guess, Ahab could tell he, he was not telling him the truth. So, of course, then Micaiah says, okay, you're right. Actually, God said you're, you're not going to be victorious. And these other prophets, they're deceiving you. And if you go into battle, you're going to die. And so Ahab, instead of thinking, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't do this because God doesn't want me to do it. Instead, he turns to Jehoshaphat and he says, see, see, I told you he hates me. I told you. <laughs> and so he has Micaiah thrown in prison. He says, I'll see you when I get back. I'll take care of you when I get back. Micaiah says, well, if I if you see me when you get back, then I'm not a true prophet. Basically, I'm not going to be seeing you again. And so, for some reason, Jehoshaphat, even though he was asking for prophet, another prophet, he realized that those other prophets weren't, weren't telling the right thing. And he wanted Micaiah there, got his advice. Ahab says, well, I'm still going. Jehoshaphat says, yeah, okay, I'll still go with you, man. I'm with you, I'm with you. I got your back. Yeah, but then Ahab starts thinking, well, Micaiah did say I'm gonna die. And man, I don't, uh, that could be correct. So, Jehoshaphat, here's what we're gonna do. All right. I'm going to go into battle disguised, okay? I'm just going to go in the regular uniform, just a regular soldier. They won't be able to tell it's me, because they, pr- they probably would be shooting at me if they, they saw that I was the king. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you in my clothes, <laughs> and they'll shoot at you, and thinking it's me. Are, are we good? Are we good? And uh, Jehoshaphat says, hmm, okay, yeah, that's a good plan. That's good. I can't believe he went along with that. I know. That. I don't... That, uh, that does tend to make me think he was just kind of not all there. Maybe he was just uh, a little bit under average intelligence. <laughs> Jehoshaphat was. I don't know. So anyway, so they go into battle against Syria. And, of course, the soldiers go after Jehoshaphat, thinking it's Ahab. And Jehoshaphat starts runs away and starts yelling, probably screaming like a little girl. And the soldiers, the Syrian soldiers say, oh, wait, that's not Ahab. <laughs> Ahab's always a little bit lower than that. <laughs> and so they stop chasing after him. And they they turn back Israel really easily. They're defeating them easily. Israel's retreating. And one of the Syrian soldiers says, eh, just shoot an arrow, just randomly. Shoot it out. Yeah, not even going to aim. Just shoot it out there. And, of course, the arrow hits Ahab, even though he was disguised. Even though he's wearing armor, too. Right, wearing armor, not at the front of the battle, I'm sure. Kind of hanging out in the back. But still dies, just like God told Micaiah to tell him. So, yep, that's my story. Micaiah, Ahab, Jehoshaphat, those guys. Those guys. <laughs> that was our, those are our ten. We did have a few honorable mentions. Yeah, I was thinking, I considered uh, the part where David steals the water skin from Saul, King Saul, while he's sleeping. And then afterwards, he goes off a little distance and calls back and says, Hey, King Saul, wake up! Hey, your your security chief there, Abner? Yeah, he's not doing his job. Look, I took your water skin from beside you. Yeah, you should fire that guy. Thought about that one. <laughs> yep, and there were there's some that are more funny from different pastors or teachers that have told the story, like uh, the Maniac of Gadara um, pastor. 
McBride, Pastor McBride at PCC had a had a funny illustration about him, and I think one of Matt and Lindsay's teachers out at West Coast, uh, yeah. Doctor Lester maybe, was telling about Ezekiel and making that that into a really funny story. Uh, those are more funny just because of the way they were told. And uh, there's the passage in Job where God finally comes to Job and says. Who is this that, that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? So he's, he puts down his friends that were giving bad counsel and then says, Gird up now thy loins like a man, Job, because uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. Let's see if you can answer them. And I had a, a teacher in Japan, a high school teacher, coach, wait, or a high school, I guess a youth group leader, yeah. that, that would read that and say, Gird up now thy loins like a man, sissy boy. And uh, I always associate that with him. So that one's kind of funny just just because of that teacher. Uh, and then there is a proverb also that always makes me laugh, and it's Proverbs twenty four thirteen. And it's, my son, eat thou honey, because it is good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. I don't know why. That one always makes me laugh. Why should I eat honey? Because it's good. Enough said. Yep. And I take that life verse and apply it to other things like ice cream. Eat thou ice cream, because it is good. You do that. Alrighty, so those are our top ten stories that we think are funny in the Bible. If there are any that you think are kind of funny in the Bible, you can let us know. The email address is tto at cozer.us, or you can comment on our website, tto.cozer.us. Cozer is spelled K-O-S-E-R. And show notes are also available at the website. I don't know how to spell Cozer. Shouldn't be listening. <laughs> Okay, so until next time, I'm Melissa Kozer. I'm Brian Kozer. And you've been listening to 10 to 1. Jacob, sorry about giving you Leah, but you know, we always marry off the older sister before we marry off the younger sister, so yeah, you're going to have to work another seven years to get Rachel. Dang it, Laban. Hey, Jacob, so I know we're doing well financially, but I'm going to need to cut your wages again just to be sure we keep on doing financially, so yeah, pay doc. Dang it, Laban. Hey, Jacob, I'm looking for my household gods, and I think you might have them, so I'm just going to go digging through all your stuff. Dang it, Laban.